Good morning. Uh, Matthew 5, if you have your Bible. Uh, Matthew 5. Hey, we're going to talk about a kind of a heavy topic this morning, uh, so I'm just going to jump right in. Um, my name is uh, Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. And you don't know this about me, but um, I used to struggle. I used to be very addicted to pornography. That's a good way to start the sermon, right? Like you guys are in. Uh, I was exposed to it when I was nine years old, and I struggled for years with lust problems and addiction to pornography. Um, It hurt me. It hurt people around me. Uh, It hurt my relationship with Christ. Uh, I was enslaved to it. I was chained, shackled, held back from the good plans that my good God had for me. But let's not pretend that my story is is weird in any way, right? Is unique in any way whatsoever. Let me give you some statistics. Every second, 28,258 internet users are watching pornography. 68 million search requests a day are pornography related. The average age a child first sees pornography is 11 years old. I said I was 9 years old when I was exposed to it. Parents, we are given children to shepherd, to lead to Christ at the earliest age possible, and to teach about this and to protect them from this. It's on us to do that for our kids. If your kid is 11 or older and you have not talked to them about this, I recommend that you do that as soon as possible. Three out of four men look at pornography on a regular basis. And maybe you think it's younger men that really struggle with that. It's really not um, because just about 50% of men over 50 uh, look at pornography on a regular basis. And you might think it's just single men, but it's not. About 50% of married men look at pornography on a regular basis. And it's not just men. Statistics say now that one out of three, about 34% of women, struggle with this as well. And this is just pornography, really just one little piece of what the Bible calls lust or sexual immorality. Just one little piece. I mean, you could not look at porn and still be very you know, trapped in your mind with lust and with all of that. This is a problem of epidemic proportions that is ruining families and poisoning the minds of our sons and our daughters. And yet, it turns out we don't really want to talk about it, right? We don't really want to go there, especially on Sunday at church. We don't really want to go there. Turns out we'd rather not talk about it. Those of you who struggle with it, don't want me to talk about it today. The three out of four men in this room who struggle with it don't want me to talk about it. The one out of three women in this room don't want me to, that struggle with it don't want me to talk about it today. Even some of you who don't have this problem or who have beat this addiction in the past, you don't want to talk about it. You want to just act like everything's fine, right? Parents, you don't want to deal with it. You don't want me to talk about it. You want to just pretend that your kid, your 11 and up kid, is somehow different than every other kid. That your kid doesn't deal with this, doesn't struggle with this, won't have a problem with it, so you can just kind of ignore it. 
here's the thing, though. Jesus talked about this. He talked about lust. He went there. We're in a series called Red Letters on his longest and most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at Matthew 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7 uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chances are if you've got a, kind of a traditional Bible, most Bibles I think are like this today, uh, you'll see just kind of a sea of red letters, just a lot of red in chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. That's because Jesus is speaking. In fact, this is the, the, the largest collection, uninterrupted collection of Jesus' words in all of the Bible. No questions, no interruptions, no rebuttals, just Jesus teaching uninterrupted. That's why we're calling this series um, Red Letters. And you can think about this as kind of a family meeting. Because Jesus has been teaching and preaching for a while. He's performed miracles for a while. He's been saying, repent, change, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And a lot of people have answered that, have responded to that, and have said, I want to repent. I want to change. I want to follow Jesus. And so he's kind of gathered everybody who said that, and he's, he's kind of gone up on a hill so that he can teach to them. And he's spending all day taping, taking topic after topic topic after topic, issue after issue after issue, sin after sin after sin, and he's going, this is how we were created to walk. This is how followers of me will act. This is how my family will live. The theme verse of the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is Matthew 6, 8, don't be like them. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be like the Gentiles. We're not to be like the Jews or the Pharisees. We're different, Jesus says. And he takes on all these topics like like anger and lust and divorce and and making oaths and promises and revenge and, and money and judging others. And he's going, this is how it looks to walk this out, to live as my representative, as my family. And he's over and over and over saying, this is not about what's on the outside. This is about what's on the inside. You can't clean yourself up on the outside and leave your heart, your thoughts, your motives, your intentions disgusting on the inside. He goes, you can't close the the blinds and the shutters of your house, paint it, mow the lawn, and call it good when the inside is all messed up, when the basement's full of water, when there's mold and the, the, the floors are rotting. You can't do that. And I said last week that where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew chapter 5, is this section where Jesus makes this one statement, this one kind of statement, six different times. He says, you've heard it said this, and he quotes an Old Testament law, and then he says, but I say to you this, and he raises the standard of that Old Testament law. Last week, we took on the one where he said, you've heard it said, don't murder But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, it's like murder, right? He raises the standard. Later, he says, you've heard it said, don't swear falsely. I say, live your life in such a way where you don't have to swear at all. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I say, turn the other cheek. He's raising the standard here. He's getting to the heart, the heart of the Old Testament law. The heart of the commands of God and the heart of men and women, you and me. And he does it with lust too. 
Look at Matthew 5, starting in verse 27 with me. You've heard that it was said, Jesus says, you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus goes, okay, okay, let's talk about this. We need to talk about this. This is something we need to talk about. I'm going to go there. This is an issue we need to address. He goes, you see, if you're going to be one of mine, if you're going to be one of my family, if you're going to bear my name and be my representative, then you have to understand that this whole adultery and sexual immorality thing isn't just about you not sleeping with your are not sleeping around on your wife or on your husband. It's not just about you not sleeping around. Jesus goes, that's one standard, sure. But in my family, it's deeper than just not having an affair. He goes, the standard isn't adultery. It's lust. It's lust in your mind. It's lust in your heart. What I want to do today is just talk to you about two mentalities, two thought patterns that contribute not only to our issues with lust, but also many other things. And then I want to offer, I just want to offer some hope, and I want us to pray. So, so if you're, let me just stop for a second here and say, if you are in here and you are struggling with lust, if you're struggling with an addiction to pornography, if you're struggling with secret sin, I believe that the Holy Spirit can and will give you freedom. And so at the end of this service today, we're going to pray. I'm ramping up for a prayer of faith over you. That God would give you freedom today. That the real presence and power of the Holy Spirit would be in this place for freedom. That he would do a miracle in your life. Are you with me? So we're ramping up for that. I want you to get ready for it. Because we're going to see some people freed today by the power of the Holy Spirit. But before that, two mentalities that contribute to this whole thing. First... What Jesus is doing battle against in these six statements that he makes in Matthew chapter 5 is a mentality that you and I and pretty much every human being everywhere has at some point or, or you know, struggles with on a regular basis. And it's this mentality of what's the least I can do? This what's the least I can do mentality. What gets me in the door? We do it in a lot of areas, right? Like what's the least I can do and still keep my job? What's the least I can do and still keep my wife? What's the least I can do and still be considered a good dad or a good mom? In dieting and exercise, I'm the worst at this. You could probably tell. I'm the worst at this. I'm always like, what's the least I can do and still get by? Like is it two times a week? Exercise? Is it one salad a week? Is that enough? How many salads do I have to eat? What's the least I can do? I'm always looking for that balance where I can work out just enough to where I can also eat donuts every day. I mean, that's the dream, right? That's the dream. And so that's, that's what I'm looking at. I just don't want to exercise too much. I don't want to go crazy with it. I just want to do just enough where I don't die when I'm 50 of a heart attack, right? 
That's, that's my goal. My, my standard is pretty low when it comes to that. What's the least I can do? In our marriages, a lot of times the question in our minds and the way we live is not, how can I love my wife like Christ loved the church? How can I sacrifice for her? How can I serve and lift up my husband? How can I go 100% today with my spouse? It's not that. More times than not, it's what will get me by? Doing the dishes? What do I have to do to be left alone to watch the game? What's the least I can do to get by today in my marriage? When it comes to physical intimacy, what's the least I can do? Once a week, once a month, what's the least I can do? The heart is not one of service. The motive is not love. The focus is not the other person. It's what's the least I can do today so that I'm not divorced tomorrow. That's really the way we live a lot of times. We do the same thing with God. What's the least I can do and still make it to heaven? What's the least I can do and still be counted as a Christ follower? Is church once a month enough to count as me being a member of the body of Christ? Is a 20 in the offering enough to count as tithe? Is putting a chair up after second service enough to count as serving in the church? Is my cross tattoo and my cross necklace enough to count as witnessing? Is me reading Bible stories from a Bible stories book to my kids every now and then enough to count as making disciples? Is my $39 a month Supporting that kid in Africa, enough to count as taking care of the orphan and the widow and the poor. Is being nice to people enough to count as loving my neighbor as myself? What's the least I can do and still get to heaven? What's the least I can do and still be a Christ follower? We have this idea with lust that all that matters is that I don't have an affair If I don't physically cheat on my wife or my husband, then I don't have an issue. I mean, everybody has thoughts and fantasies that get out of control, right? That get out of hand. Everybody looks at porn now and then, right? Jesus says, no. This is not the way it is for my family. If you're going to be one of my followers, not just somebody who likes what I do from afar, but somebody who gives their life over to me. If you're going to be in my family, like this is central, your life is is all about me and all about what I want you to do. It's not some hobby, not one hobby or activity on the edge of your life among many. If you're going to be mine, Jesus says, then you cannot have this what's the least I can do mentality. If you're going to be a part of my family and my representative, it's not enough just to not cheat on your spouse. This is about what's going on on the inside. If you're looking at other people lustfully, Jesus says, porn, fantasies in your mind, long glances, whatever, then you are committing adultery and you're not living like I expect you to live. And Jesus isn't the only one to say something like this in the Bible. Matthew 5 is not the only place that this shows up. Actually, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 kind of ratchets this whole thing up to another level. The NIV has Ephesians 5 verse 3 like this. Among you there, should, there must not be even a hint 
of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. And to be clear, this term sexual immorality encompasses all the Bible's teaching about what is good and right about sex, where it's supposed to happen, who it's supposed to be with. It encompasses all of that. Sexual immorality is anything, thought or action, that is sexual in nature, that is done outside of the confines of a marriage between one man and one woman. That's what sexual immorality is. Not even a hint, Ephesians 5 says. I think if we're honest, there's maybe a lot more than just a hint, right? Not even a hint. That's different than what's the least I can do, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's the what's the least I can do mentality. The other one I want to do battle against today is the I'm not hurting anyone mentality. I'm not hurting anybody. This is our thought process in a lot of areas, but especially when it has to do with secret sin. We look at the things, things like physical abuse, and we say, no, they're unacceptable. Blowing up and cussing somebody out at Walmart, unacceptable, right? Murder, unacceptable. But anger in our hearts, not as big of a deal. I'm not hurting anybody. Tearing someone down with your words, unacceptable. Thinking those things about someone or maybe even telling someone else about them who you think won't tell that person, not as big of a deal because it's just between me and whoever. Like it's, it's not hurting anyone. Drinking and driving, unacceptable. Getting buzzed every night, not as big of a deal. Not hurting anyone. Stealing someone's hard-earned money, unacceptable, right? Stealing from the government? Or from my, my company that I work for, a little here, a little there, not as big of a deal. I'm not hurting anyone. Crimes against children, unacceptable. Sex trafficking, unacceptable. But looking at porn, not as big of a deal, right? After all, I'm not hurting anyone. Spending the night with a coworker at a hotel, a coworker of the opposite sex, unacceptable fantasizing about it, not as big of a deal, not hurting anybody. It's the same thing the people Jesus was teaching to that day were thinking in Matthew 5. It's the same thing every human being thinks. What, what matters is my outward appearance. What matters is what I do on the outside, right? Whether it's good or bad, hurtful or helpful, but my thoughts are my own. My secrets are my own. What I do when I'm alone, that's my business, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, it's no big deal. Ah, my heart hurts for those of you that have believed this lie. Because it's not true. Your thoughts matter. Your heart matters. What you do when you're on your own, when you're by yourself, it matters. Let me be clear. I want to call this what it is. This is a lie from our real enemy, the devil. He wants you to believe that this is not a big deal so that you'll continue to wear the mask in public and take it off in private. He wants you to think that you're not hurting anybody and it's not a big deal so that the, the claws of this secret sin that own you right now would go deeper and deeper into your soul. It's not true. 
listen, beloved, when you stoke the fire of your secret sin, when you go back there again and again and again, whether it's anger, lust, pornography, gossip, a dependence on alcohol or drugs or shopping or whatever, when you stoke the fire of your secret sin, it is not a victimless crime. You are hurting someone, three people by my reckoning. You're hurting yourself. Listen, you're a person. Like the, the devil has you convinced that as long as you're not hurting other people, it's fine. But what about you? You're being hurt by this thing. You're not able to fulfill what God has called you to fulfill in your life. Be who God has called you to be in your life. Experience the love of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit like he has called you to experience the love of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit because you're in this thing. This thing is hurting you. It's absolutely hurting you. That's one. Two, you're hurting God. You're grieving the Lord. He hurts for you. He sees. He grieves. He's there. And then there's everyone else in your life, right? This idea that secret sin only hurts us and doesn't hurt anyone around us, it's just not true because it tears you down. It tears your relationship with God down. And it, it hurts you like a, like a stone or a pebble thrown into a pond. It's a ripple effect. It hurts you. It hurts your spouse. Then it hurts your kids. Then it hurts other family. Then it hurts your friends. It hurts everybody. Because you are not who God created you to be when you're chained to this secret sin. So you're not able to be the father Mother, friend, parent, spouse, leader that God created you to be. I mean, if you can't see how lust and pornography specifically warps your mind and messes up your relationship, your relationships, then I would say you're blind. It absolutely does. I've got people in my office needing counseling to prove it. I've got men and women broken to prove it. I've got wives struggling over this to prove it. I've got conversation after conversation with people whose lives have been just single, married, men, women, doesn't matter, whose lives have just been torn up by this stuff to prove it. It absolutely hurts people, you included. And that's, that's all about this life, right? This life on earth. But Jesus says in the rest of our passage today that eternity is in the balance too. I mean, it's not just about this life. It's about eternity. Look at verse 29 of chapter 5 in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Did you hear what just got said? I mean, did you hear that? It'd be better for you to never see the sunrise again. 
It would be better for you to never see the smiles on your kids' faces again. It would be better for you to never see the reflection of the moon on a still night off of the lake. It would be better for you to not see those things than to allow lust to slowly compromise you to the point where you end up in hell. It would be better for you to never write again. It would be better for you to never run your fingers through your wife's hair. It would be better for you to never play catch with your son or daughter again. It would fill in the blank. Whatever you do with your hands, it would be better for you to never do those things again than it would be for you to allow lust to lead you to hell. I mean, that's what Jesus just said. So you're not hurting anyone? Give me a break. You're hurting everyone. This is not that big of a deal. Come on. The stakes couldn't be higher. This is a bummer message, isn't it? (laughs) My gosh. I'm sure you're at home going like, you know what I hope he talks about? Secret sin. I hope he just digs in. (laughs) I get that. I totally get that. You don't like talking about your secret sin? I don't either. It's painful. It's difficult. Conviction is uncomfortable. But Jesus took the time to tackle this head on, and I think that means maybe we should too. So what now? I mean, if this is... If this is you, what do you do? do? And statistics say that as it relates to pornography, this is most of you. And if we add to that lust of the mind and the heart, that probably gets most everybody else. But then if we just add any secret sin, that's everybody, right? So if this is you, and it is, then what do we do now? What do you do? First, I want you to understand that you can't fix you. You can't fix you. I know you hear a different message out there, self-help and be the best you and you got this and all that. It's just not true. You can't fix you. Broken things can't fix themselves. You need outside help. Listen, beloved, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we have this power. That the same power that rose Jesus from the... I'm getting ramped up. I just want you to know that I'm getting ramped up. You guys getting ramped up? Okay, we're ramping up here, right? Don't fall asleep on me. The Bible says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in those who believe. Not everybody, but those who believe. Those who have given their lives over to Jesus, acted on that belief, are followers of Jesus. This is good news, isn't it? The the miraculous power, the same miraculous power that was at work in the dead body of Jesus, putting it back together, mending broken bones, repairing torn ligaments, healing wounds, and defeating death itself is at work in those who believe. Isn't that awesome? The The same power. The same power. In other words, you may have this thing where you think, what's the least I can do? But Jesus doesn't. 
Jesus went all the way to the cross. He went all the way to death. He gave everything up. Not 50-50, not I'll meet you halfway, 100% all the way. He left heaven, came to earth. His Holy Spirit has sought you out, chased you down, pulled out all the stops to save your soul. Yes, and that's huge. But not just so that you can be in heaven someday. Not just so that you can experience the presence and power of our real and good God someday. If all your salvation is to you is showing up to church every now and then and reading your Bible and being a good person and raising your hand during an altar call, then you're missing out. Listen, I want you to hear this. Jesus not only gave it all up, left heaven, came to earth, died and rose again 2,000 years ago and is right now pursuing you so that you can go to heaven someday. He did all that to save your soul and to give you the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead to overcome sin and darkness in your life right now. It's not just about someday, it's about right now. He did all that so that your eternity could start right now. And don't hear what I'm not saying. It takes work, right? It takes work. If you're addicted to pornography, if you've got a a secret sin that's holding you back, especially If you're addicted to pornography, then you've got to set things up. You've got to work hard. You've got to put parameters and guardrails up in your life. I don't care who you are. Today's world, you need a filter and a reporting software on every device you own or touch. Men, there should be no password your wife doesn't know. Women, there should be no password your husband doesn't know. If you're struggling with with a secret sin, you need to tell somebody about it. Come talk to a pastor here. We'd love to help you. Go talk to a friend or a spouse or a confidant. But you need to tell somebody about it because secret sin thrives in the darkness. Feed it darkness and it will live forever. But pull it into the light and it immediately shrivels and dies. You need to tell somebody. You, You need to put the work in. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But all of that is for naught without the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of Christ at work in you. You need Jesus. Because he came to set you free right now. Because 1 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then John 8.36 says it, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then Galatians 5.13 says this, That you were called to freedom, brothers. And then listen to what Galatians 5 at the beginning says in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set you free. For freedom he has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free for freedom. So walk in that freedom. 
You have not, you do not have to be slave to your sin anymore. Listen close. I want you to hear this. You do not have to be a slave to your addiction and your sin anymore. That sin that just owns you in the dark, owns you when you're alone, owns you when you're on the business trip, owns you when you're with that one person who tends to bring it out in you. You do not have to be a slave to it anymore. You can't fix yourself. That's a silly game. But there is a God in heaven. And he sent his son and his Holy Spirit to set you free. You don't have to stay in bondage anymore. Right here, right now, he's here to set you free. There is a promise in Ephesians 1. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me. Listen, I'm Pastor Jake. I used to be addicted to pornography in a real bad way. I was exposed to it when I was just nine years old. I was struggled with it for years and years. It hurt me. It hurt those around me. It hurt my relationship with Christ. I was chained, enslaved to it, shackled, held back from the good plans my good God had for me. But praise be to Jesus. My story does not end there. He has been gracious to me. He has given me the same power that was at work in Jesus, raising him from the dead. God has given me that power to overcome that addiction. And so I want to ask you today, do you believe that the Holy Spirit can and will give you the power to overcome your secret sin? I want you to answer out loud. I'm not asking you to stand up and say, what your secret sin is. You, you have a secret sin. Let's start there. So I'm not asking you to stand up and say what it is or anything like that. I just want you to answer out loud to this question. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit can and will give you the power to overcome your secret sin? All right. And let's pray with that belief, with that faith, with that declaration of faith. I want everybody just to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to challenge you in this way. If you're dealing with secret sin, could be greed or anger or gossip or alcohol or drugs or a number of things, but especially an addiction to pornography or a problem with lust, as we pray, As I say a prayer of faith over you that I've been ramping up since I wrote this message 10 or 11 days ago. As I say this prayer of faith over you, I want you to in some way, in some physical way, acknowledge this whole thing. You could could grab your spouse's hand. You could hold your hands, palms up in your lap as a sign of receiving. But in some way, I just want you to physically, I'm not, prayer workers are not looking around. 
We're not trying to figure out. I'm not trying to figure out if you have a secret sin. Listen, I already know you do. So I'm not trying to figure that out. But in some physical way, I want to encourage you to acknowledge that you have this secret sin. That you believe that the Holy Spirit can and will help you overcome it. And that you're ready to receive. Maybe grab your spouse's hand, hold your hands out, palms up, raise your hand if you want, kneel, whatever it looks like, in some way acknowledge this as I pray. Do that now and I'm going to pray over you. In Jesus' name, God, you said that, you said that we could ask for things in your name. And you said that if we had faith, and it was in your will, then those things would happen. Jesus, you told us to speak to the things that are not of your will, that are coming against your purpose in our life, and that we would have authority over those things. So right now, we pray in the name of Jesus that the chains of secret sin, that the chains of pornography addiction, that the chains of lust would be broken right now, that anyone in here who is bold enough to acknowledge that they have a secret sin issue, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give them lasting freedom, God, that your freedom would be felt in their lives, in, in, their, in their heart, in their soul, in their mind, in a way that they've never felt it before. God, you've got so much more for them, so much better things for them, so much more for them. You've got this purpose and this good plan, and the devil is messing it up with this addiction. So in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would restore we pray that you would break the bonds of sin. We pray that you would give your freedom. Because you said it was for freedom that you set us free. And that now we're to stand firm in it. So today we stand firm in your freedom, oh God. Break the chains, Jesus. Break the chains. Heal where healing needs to happen. If there's people in here, Lord, who are struggling, but they have yet to give their lives over to you, and we talk about this power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, and when we talk about that, they have no idea what that means. They have no understanding of what it means to bear your name, of what it means to be a follower of you, but they see that the way they're living their lives isn't working, that the sin they're stuck in isn't working, that, that the bonds that are holding them back, that it's not working. Jesus, I pray that today, right in this moment, right now, that they would give their lives over to you 100% completely and never look back. And that they would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to fight darkness and sin wherever they see it. That their eternity wouldn't be something they're waiting for someday, but that it would begin today, right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, trusting a God who wants the best for us, trusting a God who has all the power, 
and who calls us to freedom. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? If you want more prayer, we've got pastors and prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you. Listen, the pastors here on staff are here to talk with you this week, next week, whatever you want to talk about something. Maybe talk to your life group. Maybe if you need to come in as a couple and we want to wrestle through some things with you, we would love to do that. We're here for you. If you're struggling with secret sin, I encourage you to tell somebody. Tell somebody. Get it out in the light. Talk to somebody. Don't feed that sin in the darkness anymore. Here's my prayer for you today, for us. May we confess and repent of this whole what's the least I can do mentality. May the lie of your enemy that your secret sin isn't hurting anyone be overcome by the truth of God that it's actually hurting everyone. And may you lean into the resurrection power of Christ to finally take hold of your freedom, the freedom that was paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. Talk this over with your life group this week. If you're not in a life group, go to Connection Central and get plugged into one as soon as possible. And as always, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is to not let this stop with you. Just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, this week go out and help others take their next step towards God. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. We'll see you next week for the third week in our Red Letter series.